a father wanted to spend some time with his kiddos, and so he decided to uh, buy them some bikes, and they went biking on a bike trail. I believe this was somewhere in California whenever they were doing this. And, and whenever they were going down the trail, uh, the father saw a sign that said, Naturalist Camp. And he thought, oh, this is going to be good. Uh, my kids are going to get to see Mother Nature. They're going to get to see waterfalls, maybe. They're going to get to see some rock formations, uh, whatever that might be. So they went on down that path, and it wasn't too long before they learned what naturalist camp really meant. As six bike riders came riding right by his little boys, totally naked. And before the dad could say anything, his five-year-old boy looked up at him and said, Dad, uh, they're not wearing any helmets. <laughs> Our perspective <laughs> is what changes everything. Well, I want to let you know today there are four words in your Bible that changed everything. They're actually found in Matthew 28. I know you're not there right now. They were penned by the words of an angel. Whenever the ladies went to see the tomb and visit Jesus in the grave, this is what the angel said, four words that turned the world upside down. He, she said, he is not there. He is not there. Would you say that with me? He is not there. And he goes on to say, Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Father, I pray that in the next few moments, no matter who is here today, no matter what situation we are in, uh, for the longest time Christian to the shortest time Christian to somebody who's not yet put their faith in Jesus and who's skeptical of this whole thing, I pray that you would touch all of us where we are. All of us could come to have an encounter with Jesus Christ this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let me put these three statements on the screen that I believe are true. It's this, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus lives presently. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus lives today. Now here's what we know, these are factual statistics. Whenever Jesus lived, hundreds of thousands of people can attest to that. There are hundreds of thousands of people who can say, I saw Jesus walk this earth. As a matter of fact, historically speaking, if you were to talk to a true historian, there is more proof and more evidence that Jesus walked this earth than George Washington walked this earth. Now, nobody questions George Washington. Nobody questions the history there. But for some reason, people question the history of Jesus, yet we have more history on his side. And when it comes to the fact that Jesus died, there were at least thousands who saw his death, if not tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem at that time who saw Jesus hang on a cross. There were three crosses. He was in the middle and two people on the outside. Tens of thousands of people could tell you that happened. But when it comes to Jesus is alive today, there were at least hundreds, possibly more, but there were at least hundreds of people who saw Jesus come back from the dead leave that tomb, and could say, Jesus is alive. What God is asking of us, I'll just tell you up front, what God is asking of us is for us to believe those same three things, that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus is alive today. But we can't really go back and talk to hundreds of people, but what we can do is take the account of four different men who had an encounter with the risen Savior. I want to first talk about Thomas. You've heard of Thomas? Do you know his nickname? Does anybody know Thomas's nickname? 
doubting Thomas. We're kind of hard on Thomas, aren't we? But in John chapter 20, this is what the scriptures say, beginning with verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which by the way, in the Greek, Didymus means twin. Thomas was a twin. We don't know if he had a twin brother or a twin sister. Some people think it might have been Matthew, by the way, but he was a twin. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Well, we call him doubting Thomas. We're kind of hard on him, but I, wanna, I just want to point out something, and that is this. Though Thomas would not believe until he saw, I would like to say, once he did see, he did believe. And how many people do you know And how guilty am I that God has shown himself to me and he has made himself evident to me, yet I still waver on the line at times. I know a lot of people who God has shown himself to be true and yet they refuse to believe. And so though we could be hard on Thomas and say, well, he had to see to believe, at least he did believe when he did see. And notice the last line. He called him my Lord and my God. Have you ever had any questions about the Bible? You ever had any questions about Jesus? You ever ever have any questions about God? Don't lie on Easter. You ever have any questions about the faith? I have. I've had questions. Thomas had some questions. What's interesting to me is that Jesus did not scold Thomas for having some questions. He did not scold him. He did not ridicule him. He did not say, how dare you? J. Warner Wallace is the lead homicide detective in Southern California, He has investigated some of the country's most heinous crimes uh, that we've ever seen in our nation. You've probably seen him on television testifying to some of the details. He spent 35 years of his life not believing any of the claims of Jesus until a friend challenged him. A friend said, how about you take your investigative skills and put it to work against the claims of Jesus? That's exactly what J. Warner Wallace did. And he reached a fascinating conclusion. Look at these words. Jurors evaluate evidential cases every day across our country, and they are asked to make a decision, even though they don't have every question answered or every possible detail explained. When the overwhelming evidence points to a reasonable conclusion, jurors make a decision. The standard of proof for the SOP in the most critical criminal trials is beyond a reasonable doubt, not beyond a possible doubt. I've never conducted the perfect investigation and we've never presented the perfect case before a jury, but in my career as a cold case detective, I've never lost. If there is enough evidence to make a decision, they've asked, they are asked to make a decision. When it comes to the case for God's existence, there's enough evidence. There's two kinds of doubters. Here they are. Doubters with closed hearts and doubters with open hearts. Which one are you? I just got to tell you, my prayer this week, and actually my prayer for the last two weeks, is that all of us here today would have open hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Not that we would come in without questions, but that we would come in with an open heart and open ears. Remember, Jesus says, he who has eyes to see, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him see. It starts with our hearts. Jesus doesn't get mad at Thomas. So here's my encouragement to you. Four words. Walk through your doubt. Don't walk around it. If you have some doubts today, don't just avoid it. Don't just say, well, that's it. I'm not going to even investigate. Do what Jay Warner Wallace did. Do what Lee Strobel did. Do, do what C.S. Lewis did. By the way, some of the biggest doubters in history have been some of the strongest believers in the history of the world and have made some of the biggest differences ever because they walked through their doubt. Don't let your doubt be your dead end. So I had a preacher friend call me about three weeks ago and he had some serious questions about the faith. And by the way, they were good questions. And he told me on the phone, and I could hear the emotion. He said, Nathan, I can ask you these questions, but I know I can't come to church this week and ask these questions, or they're going to think I'm a heretic. And he's probably right. And I just got to tell you this. If there's a place you can have questions and a place you can have doubt and a place you can roll your thoughts around, it should be the church. We don't all believe the same, just so you know. My wife doesn't believe the same as me, right down the line. We don't believe on every single line of the scripture to mean exactly what I say it means, which is the right belief, by the way. So she's wrong in some cases. And you can be wrong in some cases if you want to disagree with me on some things. Too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here's what too many people assume. They assume that faith is the absence of doubt, but faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is when you're willing to walk through your doubt. And, and here's, here's what I believe, and I believe the scriptures teach it. It teaches if you seek him, you will find him. He will show himself to you. If you want to find God, he will show himself to you. Do you believe that? If you say, I have some questions, are you really there? Do you think he'll let you know if he's, do you think God is trying to hide behind the curtain over there? See if you can find me. Ready or not, here we come. Uh, I can tell you the preacher standing behind this pulpit, I have some questions. I've been a Christian for 29 years. I have more questions today than I did 29 years ago. One of them right now is about the Holy Spirit. I'm throwing some things around in my head about what I've believed about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you what my questions are, but I'm, I'm, I'm walking through it right now. So the guy up here talking to you has questions. One of the worst things that have happened in the church, I'm not saying any specific church, but one of the worst things that can possibly happen is that we all walk in here like the walking dead and we all become parrots of the preacher. It's okay for you to think differently than me. And so I'm going to say a risky statement. Don't take my word for anything. Check it out. Check it out. I do the best I can, but I can be wrong. I don't know where I've ever been wrong, but I could be wrong. It, it can happen. There are things that I believed 10 years ago that I believe differently now. Do you think that's going to happen 10 years from now? And so it's okay to have doubt. Jesus didn't scold Thomas for having that doubt. And God is going to show himself to us whenever we seek him. If you seek me, you will find me. Last summer, before this was all happening, and we were meeting in Hopper Middle School, and we were having cinnamon rolls and egg casserole and orange juice and coffee from Starbucks. Who brought the Starbucks coffee? Way to go. Good job. That was, I saw that coming in. I was like, all right, here we go. Before we were doing all this, Doug and I were knocking on doors. 
July, August, September in Houston, Texas. Can somebody say, way to go, Nathan and Doug? Thank you very much. All right, I, was, I appreciate the one person who said it. But one of the knocks on the doors, uh, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I won't use her name, but when I, when I knocked on her door, she opened uh, the door. She was still in her nightgown. I could tell she'd been crying. And uh, I just said, hey, my name's Nathan. I'm minister at Venture Christian Church. We're starting a new church in the area. And, and she looked at me like I was a ghost. And I said, is everything okay? And she just broke down, and she, she started to tell me the story about her family, and it, it was a hard story. And she said, just so you know, I know you're a minister, but you need to know I don't believe that there's a God. I said, okay. And she said, but this morning, I woke up, and I looked up, and I talked to if he's there, I said, if you're there, you have to show me today because if you don't show me today, I'm ending my life at the end of the day. And then you showed up. And I said, ta-da. <laughs> thought it would thought be somebody better looking, didn't you? Uh, this is what he brought. Anyway, I'm, I'm convinced of it over and over again. She gave him an opportunity to reveal himself, and he did, and he will for you and for me every single time. Aren't you grateful for that? He's gonna reveal himself. Jesus is alive. It affected Thomas's life for the rest of his life. Another guy by the name of Peter. Everybody say Peter. Oh boy, three strikes and you're out. Before there was ever baseball, he invented the three strikes and you're out. What did Peter do? The night of the cross. He said, Jesus, you're my best friend. I will never deny you. Oh, and then a middle school girl was standing next to him. He said, don't you know Jesus? Apparently middle school girls are scary and intimidating because Peter lost all his courage and, prop and committed, man, is there a worse crime? Is there a worse sin than denying Jesus, than denying him? It says, if you deny me before my heavenly father, I will deny you deny you when I stand before my heavenly father. Peter did it. He's out. You're out, Peter. But after the resurrection, Peter's fishing. He goes back to his old life. I think he had given up. And Jesus is on the shore. And Peter recognizes Jesus. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to Jesus. Now, if it was me, I would have been doing the backstroke because I'm faster in the backstroke. But Peter's probably doing the, what's this? What's that? Forward stroke? It's not the forward stroke, but I'll just go with you, Bill. I don't know. He's swimming, and I got to think, what's Peter thinking when he's swimming? What am I going to say to him? He's probably putting together a speech in his mind. What am I going to say to my Savior? I'm sorry. Will you please? And he gets to the shore, and Jesus is grilling some fish, probably from Landry's. He's having a good time. And this is what Jesus says to Peter, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you what? Love me more than these. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Is there anybody within the sound of my voice here today who has a black mark on their record? There's that one sin you don't want anybody else in here to find out about. If everybody else in here found out about it, you would cower away and walk out. Is there something on your record that says, I disqualify from being a follower of Jesus? Peter had it. And what does Jesus do? Notice the question is not, Peter, have you sinned lately? What's the question? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the question, isn't it? I'm glad the question is not, have you sinned lately? Can somebody say, me too? Because if the question was, have you sinned lately, Peter would have had to raise his hand. But guess, guess who else would have had to raise his hand? Everybody in here today and everybody that's not in here today. That's not the question. Here's, here's a great point for us all to remember. Jesus is not scared of your sin. He's not scared of your record. He's not scared of that dark blemish on your record. He already took care of it on the cross. Isn't that good news? It's covered He took care of it. He didn't say, Peter, tell me about your sin. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. By the way, how many times did he ask him, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Coincidence? What's he doing? He's restoring him back. And not only does he restore him back to the faith, he puts him into leadership. He says, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. A month and a half later, guess who's preaching the first sermon in the first church plant? Peter. It didn't disqualify him from ministry. The one sin that you're, man, if the church could grab this church. (laughs) So there's a church in South Carolina. It's a new church, about two years old. Uh, I've been watching some of their sermons online. The name of the church is Second Chance Church. You like that? Second Chance Church. You know, that doesn't have to be our name because it's not our name, but every church that bears the name of Christ is a second chance church. And whenever we miss that, we've missed everything because our God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And that wasn't the last time Peter blew it. Go over to Acts 13. He blew it again. And he blew it again. And I've committed more sins since I've become a Christian than before I was a Christian partly because I was nine years old when I became a Christian. So don't look at me like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Lived a lot more years as a Christian than a non-Christian. I, I shouldn't even have to qualify that. If the church would grab a hold of our heart, our God is a second chance God. We're not here to point fingers. We're here to put our arms around each other. Amen? And he does it with Peter. I like that. So he changes Thomas's life, resurrection Jesus. He changes Peter's life, resurrection Jesus. And he changes the life of James. And I'll just tell you the point of this. It's never too late. 
It's never too late. James is one of the brothers of Jesus. If anybody should have been a believer of Jesus, it should have been one of his brothers. But James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He grew up with Jesus in the same house. He had dinner with Jesus. I, I have some questions for James. Did Jesus ever lose a baseball game? Did he ever lose a bat? Could he just dunk at the age of like five? Did he ever strike out? I, I don't know. Did he ever get mad at somebody on the playground? I have some questions for James. But James, his own brother, didn't believe until the resurrection. But when he did, James wrote a book called James. Chapter 1, verse 1, he introduces himself like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, not brother. He doesn't even mention that he's a brother. He says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what would it take for you to look at your sibling and say, I am now your servant? Not on your life. My brother or sister's listening right now, it's not gonna happen, just so you know. But what would it take for that to happen? Probably them coming back from the dead. That's what James's brother did. But James was late to the game. Doesn't that disqualify him? Being a late arriver does not put you on the bench. Being a late arriver does not make you JV. It's never too late. By the way, that's not always true. Sometimes it is too late, just so you know. I, I looked up some, uh, a Guinness Book of World Record, the longest engagement that we have on record. There was a man by the name of Octavio, Octavio Gillian and Adriana Martinez. They, were, they got engaged in 1902. They stayed engaged for 67 years because they couldn't pull the trigger. You... you do you want it June 5th? Do you want it July 8th? 67-year engagement. Okay, now it's too late. <laughs> so there is a too late. But if you're 95 years old in here today and you spent 95 years against Christ and 95 years spreading poison against Jesus and against his church and working against the cause of Christ, if you've spent that long against him and you give your life to Christ today, it is not too late. It is not too late. There's a quote, I couldn't figure out who the originator is, but it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. Would you say that with me? It's never too late to do the right thing. If you're holding bitterness in your heart right now against a mother or father or a family member of yours and you've been holding on to it for 20 years, 30 years, it's not too late to say I forgive you. If you haven't, talk to a child or a grandchild in 20 years. It's not too late to knock on their door. It's not too late to get therapy. It's not too late to find a counselor. It's not too late to, to seek help. It's not too late to have a new beginning. It's not too late to turn things around. The message of the gospel and the message of Christ and the message of the resurrection, the message of James is it's never too late. How many of you are grateful that God hasn't thrown us in the trash can because of all of our sins and he says it's not too late to come to him? I'm grateful for that. It's never too late to turn it around. There's a statement that I, boy, I cannot stand. Don't say this around me, okay? People can't change. You ever heard that? Thank you. People can't change. Actually, that's antithetical to the cross of Jesus. If the Bible tells us anything, it's that people can't change. Amen? 
I am living proof of that. God is constantly working. The Spirit of God is constantly molding me and shaping me into who he wants me to be. It's not so much that people change. It's that God's power changes us. And God can do that. Last person. I'm more grateful for this last person. I'm grateful for Thomas, grateful for Peter, grateful for James. But I'm grateful for Terry the most. You say, where is Terry in the Bible? Well, he's not in there. But let me tell you about Terry. Uh, most of you probably don't know that my dad, putting that in my pocket, that my dad is a preacher. I grew up in a preacher's home. And uh, he's still preaching today in a little town called Nashville, Illinois, in, in southern Illinois. I think he's been preaching for about 45 years. So, so this, is, this is his story. Uh, 46 years. This is his story. When I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, you talk about making an impact. In the town where we lived, Olney, Illinois, uh, there was a factory nearby uh, called Roadmaster. And Roadmaster, in early part of 1995, had a huge ex- uh, explosion. And I think several people died, but there was, there was one man who didn't. There was a particular Sunday morning that dad was preaching and he was sitting over here and it was during the song service and he noticed a lady walk in all by herself. She came in a little bit late and he didn't get a chance to shake her hand or greet himself. So he made a mental note to himself, catch her after the service, like to meet her. But during the closing prayer, guess what she did? She hightailed it. So she came late, she left early and he didn't get a chance to visit with her. Next Sunday came and same thing. She came in a little bit late and then she left a little bit early. He didn't get a chance to visit. Next week comes... Same thing, but she brings her little kids. And over the course of the next couple months, the family starts to come. He finally gets their name. He knocks on the door and goes to make a visit on a Tuesday night. And there she is with the family. And he gets to talk about the gospel and Jesus and, and where they are. And they're very interested in the things of Christ. And that's when Terry uh, came out of the kitchen and sat down. And dad asked him, what do you think? Where are you with Jesus? He says, that's okay for them, but it's not for me. It's not my thing. I want nothing to do with them. If they want it, they can have it, but it's not me. I said, okay. A couple months later, as time went by, the mother, she ended up giving her life to Jesus. The kids, one by one, week after week, they started to give their life to Jesus, and that's when the explosion happened. And Terry was in the plant, and Mike Hill, I remember big Mike Hill, 6'5", firefighter, uh, in our church, he was on the scene. And there was a, there was a circular pathway in the, in the top of the factory. And Mike, the firefighter, was on one side of the circle. And Terry was on the other side. And the fire was in the middle. And Mike is yelling at Terry, just jump, get to the other side. I'll rescue you from there. Just jump. And Terry yells back, I can't. My legs are broken. I'm burned. I'm in pain. I can't do it. But over the course of the next several minutes, and Terry, uh, or, or Mike basically begging him, Terry somehow, and Mike still doesn't know how, but Terry somehow just lunged himself over the circle, and he was able to be grabbed by Mike, and he pulled him to safety. Rushed him to Springfield, Illinois, to the Burn Center. I've never been to the Burn Center in Springfield. I have in Tulsa. If you've ever been in a Burn Center, you will not forget it. The moans and the groans and the smell of burnt flesh is something that is seared in my memory in the Tulsa one, but 
Dad rushed up to Springfield, and Terry was unconscious. And by the way, that wasn't the worst thing to be unconscious, to not have to feel the pain. But over the course of the next several weeks, nobody thought Terry was going to make it, and he stayed unconscious. But one day, after about a month, Terry's wife called Dad, said he's blinking his eyes. He's starting to respond. So there was hope he might make it. Then the next couple weeks, she kept calling. He's making progress. And finally, Terry was able to sit up in a wheelchair. Though he was still wrapped in bandages, he was able to respond. And so dad ran up to Springfield, sat down with him, had some small talk. How are you doing? And that's when he popped the question again. Terry, can I talk with you about Jesus? And Terry said, you bet. And dad went on to talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Terry said, who's to say? that God didn't save me from one fire in order to save me from another. And it was in that wheelchair, in that room in Springfield, Illinois, where Terry Runyon began to walk himself toward Jesus Christ and faith in him. It was a few months later when Terry was able to make his way back to Olney, and Terry called Dad and said, hey, I want to be baptized. I want to give my life to Christ. Problem was... Uh, the baptistry that the church had couldn't fit a wheel. We couldn't get Terry down into the water because of the steps and the size of the wheelchair. And there was a guy in the church named Tony, just built an underground pool in his backyard. We asked Tony, can, can we baptize Terry in the pool? Said, you bet. And so the day came. He's in his wheelchair, and they head to the underground pool in the backyard of Tony's house. And Terry said the words, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And with that, my dad took him and buried him with Christ in the waters of baptism. He was raised to walk in the newness of life. And when he pulled his hand off of his back, dad noticed his hand had blood all over it. And it hit him what he just did. He, Terry had that new skin on his back, and it had rubbed that skin off. And he looked at Terry and said, Terry, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. And Terry said, don't worry about it. This was the greatest day of my life. And I stand with Terry. How about you? Nobody's ever going to get me to regret the day I gave my life to Christ. Nobody's ever going to get me to regret the day I walked down an aisle much like this and I was obedient and I surrendered myself in the waters of baptism and I said, Jesus, I'm with you till death do us part. And I have questions and I have questions about this and I have things, God, why didn't you do this or why didn't you say yes to this prayer? But that does not negate my faith. It does not negate your faith and it does not change the fact that Jesus is here to rescue us because he is a second chance God. Amen, aren't we grateful for that? And so here's the deal. That was December 2nd, 1990. That was the greatest day of my life. And if you say yes to Jesus, it will be the greatest day of your life. And if the Spirit of God can change the heart of Thomas, and if the Spirit of God can change the heart of Peter, and if the Spirit of God can change the heart of his brother, and if he can change the heart of Terry, then he can change your heart, and he can change mine. Let's pray.